friends, we worshipers out the door, I want to encourage you to take your copy of the scriptures this morning and turn with me to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. I'm going to talk about a love story today. I know you're thinking, no, you said we're in Exodus. Well, I hope to uh, perhaps peel back the blinders here on this story, but it's all about love. I wonder, do you have a favorite love story? I hope your immediate answer was mine. I, I don't mean Melanie and mine. That is certainly mine. I meant yours. I hope you have a story you love to tell about God bringing people together, entwining their lives, and just building something great out of it. Because that's what God is doing here in the book of Exodus, talking about a love story here, friends. And I know it's kind of hard to see because it involves a whole nation, a people of God. But think about the great love involved with this story. God chose a man and made a covenant. He said, Abraham, going to make a great nation out of you, going to bless you too. In this nation, I'm going to bless this nation. I'm going to bless anyone that blesses it, but I'm going to curse anyone that curses it. That kind of feels like how love is. You're protective of this relationship and of these people. Love looks a lot like that. And so here we are in the, we've seen the birth of this nation coming out of 75 people going into Egypt 400 years later and, and out they come two and a half million. Now they are a people not just a big family, and God is taking them to a promised land where his whole intent is to bring his goodness into their lives. But in every relationship, the problem is selfishness, and it's something that Israel is going to have to get over here. But I want to paint this picture here this morning of, of uh, we've, we've made a transition in the book. The first uh, 19 chapters are all about redemption, bringing Israel out, the whole long story of 19 chapters. But when we go to that, uh, chapter 20 to the end, it's all about revelation, things that God is revealing to this nation. And that certainly includes what we're going to look at here this morning. Then I would suggest to you that maybe we should look at some of these instructions in the same way that you look at marital vows. No, they are not the exact same thing. But these are the agreements of how the people of Israel will live with God and how God can bestow his blessing and his goodness on this people. So when we come to chapter 24... And we've read through a lot of the, the laws, the covenants. They're going to re be repeated in Deuteronomy just before Israel goes into the promised land. You know, but uh, when we come to 24, we see the, the response of Israel to this covenant. They have heard what God requires of them and what he will do in response. You remember such things as, I will take away sickness. I will, I will bring great uh, growth in your fields and in your families. And, and, and this blessing is, is gigantic. He says, just follow my covenant. This is the way I want to live with you so that I can pour out my blessing. 
And what is the response in chapter 24? We find that the people vow to keep this covenant. They said, yes, we want to live in a covenant relationship with you, God. And we agree. Look at verse, uh, verse 1. Then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near. This yet another invitation to come near. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. And Moses came and told the people all the words that the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice. And they said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We want to enter into this covenant relationship with Yahweh. And Moses writes it all down. Look at here in verse 4. Moses records God's word. So Moses wrote down all the words of Yahweh. And a sacrifice was offered, which was often the case when covenants were made in this time, in this period. And uh, sure enough, he rose early in the morning. He built an altar at the foot of the mountain. This is Mount Sinai. And 12 pillars, according to the 12 tribes of Israel. You're going to see a lot of symbolism that represents the 12 tribes of Israel in relationship with God. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to Yahweh. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. And what did he do with the other half? We're yet to find out. But notice the book of the covenant was read. Let's make sure we all know it. I wonder, those of you that have been married oh so long... I wonder when's the last time you really looked at your vows. What it is you vowed to one another in a relationship. Melanie and I wrote our own, so it's, it's fascinating to go through and see our, our ideas of marriage at that particular time. They were pretty good, you know, but, uh, and I think we've lived them out pretty well, but it's just a great celebration to do that. And so here it is that... Uh, you know, Moses is reading these things out, you know, look verse 7. Then he took the book of the covenants and read it in the hearing of the people. I suppose, hey, let's take another look at this. Before we jump in and say, yeah, I'm in, let's maybe read this one more time. But I want you to notice, and they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood, you know, the rest of the stuff. And he threw it on the people. <laughs> it sounds messy, but, you know, there's like two and a half million of them, maybe a little more at this point. You know, it's, it's a sprinkling thing. It's a participation in the covenant. You know, uh, back in the day, it used to be the, the, guys, did you ever slice your hand, somebody else, and, and you shake it like a blood covenant? It means if you don't do it, I'm going to come back and kill you. Man, I hope not. <laughs> I really hope not, man. That is just unsanitary, you know. <laughs> but that's what's going on here. This is this is uh, this is life. This is life. So this covenant is made. They agree to it, and a sacrifice is made. Moses uh, again. He, he reads it all out. They say, "Yes, this is what we want to do." 
And then Moses receives some revelation from God here in verse 9. And uh, this is going to be through uh, chapter 27. This section talks about uh, some specific revelation. Now look at here. They have made the vow. They heard it. They read it out. They said, what will you do? We vow that we will do all the Lord has called us to do. We will obey his word. We're in. And in light of the agreement to this covenant... In the same way that uh, a man and a woman, after they exchange vows, they together, they leave, and they live together. Now we're going to look at what it looks like for Israel to live in relationship with God. But there's some things they need to know about first. And here is this context to this revelation. Who was with him when he went up? Well, we know Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, the 70 elders, they all went up to the mountain. God has some revelation, some things they need to know. And so up the mountain they go. And what did they see? They saw some incredible beauty. I want you to notice verse 10. They saw the God of Israel. Now, what does that mean? You know, the scripture all over the place says no man can see God, you know, uh, and live. There's, it's just, what we have here is a theophany. And, and some of this stuff is going to be laid out as to what exactly they are seeing. This is, this is in some way a manifestation representing God. Notice what we have here. All right, so... Uh, we, uh, we see this great beauty, and they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet. Is this not amazing that the first description we get is, is what was underneath them? And my friends, it is essentially important that we draw some dots or c- connect some dots here. But notice, there was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone. I mean, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief uh, men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and they ate and drank. We're talking about fellowship with God here. But friends, I want to tell you something a little bit about this sapphire. In Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 26, Ezekiel has this vision of God. And you know what he sees? It is the throne of God. And what is it that's underneath? This sea of sapphire. They're getting an image of God on his throne. And we're going to see a little more revelation that ties it all together. Ezekiel saw these cherubim, one at one end and another at another, and their wings were coming together. It's this picture that that we also see in the book of Revelation. We went through that not too long ago. And, uh, and we have these cherubim who have this closeness this, um, to God, a part of his worship perhaps. And, uh, and, and this is the same picture they're getting. It is, it is the throne room. And that's going to be demonstrated in part of this revelation. And uh, so hold on to that thought as we keep plowing through here. You know, they see this, this great beauty and... And look at here in verse 12, Moses and Joshua go a little higher. So they have these levels of uh, degrees of how close. And God keeps uh, calling Moses and Joshua higher and higher. Verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there. That I may give you a couple of things here. Tablets of stone with the law and the commandments. Not only did Moses write it down, the Lord wrote it down on some tablets. We all know about that. And so this has the law and the commandments, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant, Joshua, 
And Moses went up to the mountain of God. And we can already see the the prominence of Joshua continuing to rise here as an assistant to Moses. And uh, verse 14, he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. So whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Isn't it a little sad? (laughs) I mean, this this seems in our previous chapter, looking at uh, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, he's like, you know these people, it's one thing after another with these people. You know, they get questioned, and they're, they're divided about this, and Moses is spending all day long, Jethro says, you're going to kill yourself doing that. Because relationships are high emotionally draining stuff. It just is. I mean, the, the good and the bad. You could be exhausted by the happiness. But my friends, the other even more so. And so here's my, and if they got any problems, you guys deal with it, you know? Almost like count on it. And this is just kind of the uh, uh, underflow, this river running through this whole relationship is just selfishness. I want to ask you a question. I wasn't planning on this, but I want to ask you. I want you to answer it honestly to yourself. When's the last time you just acted selfishly? I'll wait. You got it? It's a good idea to ask yourself that question. When was the, what was the last sin that I committed? You know, just to see if you're paying attention. Well, talking about a relationship with God, my friends. Sin is what destroys it. You don't want to go three months down the road and say, what is wrong? I just don't feel a closeness to God. Well, go back and look at the trail, friends. So Moses, verse 15, he went up the mountains and the cloud covered this mountain and the glory of Yahweh dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. Now you recall as they were traveling out, God led them by a cloud and by fire, a cloud during the day that led them and a fire at night. And so here is this cloud, the glory of God in the cloud, it covered it six days On the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. And notice Moses, verse 18, entered the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. We have that 40 days, 40 nights imagery that just moves all the way through the scriptures. An important time. And here he is in the presence of God. And notice the content of the revelation. He went up to get some, now we get to find out what it is. And ironically, the first instruction that the Lord has is we're going to take an offering. Look at here in chapter 25, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel, that they take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. I want you to notice this is not a tax, this is an offering. An offering is not out of obligation, but given out of love. And notice that the Lord focuses on his heart. If it is within his heart to give, 
you shall receive it from him. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold and silver and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine uh, twined linen, goat's hair even, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood. Going to need lots of acacia wood. Oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense onyx stones, and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastplate. And we'll talk about what those guys are later. I know you're just waiting to hear about the ephod and the breastplate. (laughs) We'll get there, friends. God has a project coming. And it's going to demand some resources. Now, God has given them victory over the Egyptians. They have come out with great wealth. And there's a reason for it. It wasn't for their own personal pleasure. It was for the plans that God had ahead. I suppose that's not a bad way to look at the things we have in our hands now. There is a reason that God has brought treasure into your hands. It is for his goodness And I guarantee for the good of people around. So take a look. We've got this tabernacle that's going to be built. Verse 8, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Don't miss that, friends. Build for me a sanctuary. Why? Because I want to dwell in the middle of these people. And he's going to organize them all the way around this tabernacle. The glory of God is going to move into this place. And God's presence will be with his people. My friend, it has been the longing of God and the movement of God from the beginning of history. And that is his intent with the nation of Israel. Don't miss this. This isn't some logistics thing of how we're going to organize ourselves. This is God saying, I want to live in the midst. I want to dwell with my people. I love these people. I want to bring my blessing to these people. And so build this tabernacle. And inside the tabernacle, we're going to have some furniture. And the first piece of furniture that is mentioned is an ark. An ark is a box in its most basic sense. And notice here in verse 10, and they shall make an ark out of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and outside shall you overlay it. And you shall make on its molding of gold around it. Now notice here in verse 12, you shall cast four rings of gold for it. Rings of gold on the corners here. Look at here and put them on its four feet. Two rings on one side of it and two rings on the other. What's the deal with the rings? Because in these rings, they're going to put some poles. And four guys, each on one end of the pole, are going to pick it up to carry it. Because everything about this uh, sanctuary is mobile. All of this, this nation is going to move together to be pulling it up, moving on to where God has them to go and setting it back all up again. Because remember, God has a place for them. And it isn't where they are now, but where they are now is part of the journey to get where God would have them to go. So they got some gold rings on its feet and two rings on one side, two rings on the other, verse 13. And you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles into the rings and in the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. 
The pole shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it, and you shall put it into the ark of the testimony that I give you. And there it is, friends, the ark, the famous ark. Perhaps uh, you've seen a movie about that where everybody just melts because they touch it. God, God, this is a holy, holy thing for God. And, and then why a box? Because God's going to put some things in it. For example, these tablets are going in. A couple, uh, an example of the, the manna that God provides is going in. Later going to be a test about, uh, about Aaron and his staff that buds to separate him from the others. That thing's going in there going to be some memories, some reminders to the people of God, what God has done for them. But it is going to be in the place where God's glory will be. Holy of holies. We'll get there. We'll get there. And I want you to notice here in verse 17. <clears throat> oh, that's weird. <laughs> this whole section of another project right in the middle of my sermon. I mean, I could tell you about it, but it would really be a waste of time. So let's continue on here. Uh, verse 17, and you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Now, everybody knows what a mercy seat is, so we'll just continue on. Now, that, that is a confusing term. You know what the mercy seat is? It's the lid for the box. It is. <laughs> but the very fact of this being in the Holy of Holies and being called a mercy place tells us a whole lot about God. What are we going to know about this mercy seat, this lid for the box? Going to be two cubits and a half shall be its length. Cubit and, and a half its breadth and you shall make two cherubim of gold of a hammered work and you shall make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Wait a minute. That's a lot like Ezekiel 1 there, you know? I mean, this is like the throne room being ex exemplified here. Ironically, the vision that he saw was, was, was this throne and on both sides, these cherubim. And that's exactly what he's having them build here. There's something about this that demonstrates the presence of God. And where he dwells in heaven and his glory is manifest on earth. And ironically, in John chapter 20, you may or may not be aware that uh, we're going to be selling the re uh, celebrating the resurrection next weekend. We've got some Good Friday stuff coming up, 6.30, don't be late. Or be late and come anyway because we want you there. But, but you know what else it reflects? In John chapter 20 and, and verse 11... And, and this is so cool. I, I never saw this before. But Mary, she, she stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped in to look inside the tomb. And you know what she saw? Two angels sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One on one side, one on the other. Just like the ark. Just like Ezekiel's vision of God. It was the presence of God. It was yet one more testimony that Jesus is God. And so here is this pattern that just highlights God's ruling, but his mercy as well. And so there is this picture. And look at here, verse 20. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above the overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings their faces one to another toward the mercy seat shall be the faces of the cherubim be. 
And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. And there I will meet with you. And from the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. It is, friends, and all of the details don't miss it. Here is God that says, I want to be right there in the midst of all that you are doing. I want to be right in the center of your life. I want to involve myself and help you live and, and bring blessing and goodness into your life. Don't miss that in all of the details of what a weird thing he's talking about, you know? And there's a lot of weird and unusual things, but don't miss the whole purpose. It's for God to be right there with his people. Well, we got some more furniture. We got a table for bread. You know, when we think of bread, we think of uh, certainly the manna, which was bread from heaven, and Jesus who presented himself and said, I am the bread of life. And so there is this imagery. All of it seems to point to God. You know, there's a golden lampstand down here in uh, verse 31. You know, you shall make a lampstand of pure gold. Lampstand should be hammered work. Its base, its stems, its cups, its calyxes, and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. And what's the point with these, these, these lamps? You know? Light, truth, Jesus is the light of the world. God's light shining, absolutely. Revelation, making God known to his people. And after talking about some of this furniture, you know, this table for bread, this golden lampstand, there's this plan for the tabernacle itself. Now, a tabernacle is really just another word for a big tent, Okay, that's going to be really important here. But here's the plan for the tabernacle. It's got curtains, chapter 26. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarn. And you shall make them with cherubim skillfully worked within them. And the length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits. And you've got five cub uh, curtains here in verse 3. Um, coupled to one another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another, making loops of the blue. You know, these loops, it's all about being able to carry all of these things. In verse 7 here, you got got uh, curtains of goat's hair. I mean, what's a tent made of? Well, it's made of this stuff. That's what it is. But when we come down to verse 15, we've got the frames for the tabernacle, for the tent. We know what's going to go over the frames. What are the frame, uh, these, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> what are these curtains going to go over? You should make upright frames of the tabernacle of, yes, acacia wood. Remember that uh, offering, uh, including acacia wood? They needed it, friends. And we have all of the, and now friends, if you want to build one of these, go ahead and continue reading through here and you can find out all the measurements and how they put it all together. But the fact is, God says, this is the tabernacle that we are going to build and we are going to organize all the tribes of Israel all around this tabernacle and I'm going to dwell right in your midst. Friends, it, 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 it smacks of, of eternity when we shall be his people and God will be our God. He will wipe away every tear in our eyes. It is this intimacy that God has been working toward throughout all of history. 
God dwelling with man. God dwelling with man, my friends. And so we have the frames. And then we have a veil jumping down to chapter 26 and 31. And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linens. And it shall be made with cherubim, skillfully worked into it. And you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia, overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold, and of four bases of silver. And you know what this veil was going to be for? Notice here at the end of verse 33, and the veil shall separate for you the holy place and the most holy. And you shall put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. And you shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand on the south side of the tabernacle opposed to the table. And you shall put the table on the north side. And you shall make a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen embroidered with needlework. And you shall make for... For the screen, five pillars of acacia, overlay them with gold, and their hooks shall be of gold, and you shall cast five bases of bronze for them. And this, of course, is the veil that was torn when Jesus died on the cross. This veil was to say, sinful men cannot come into the presence of God. One time every year, the high priest, they'd tie a rope around his, his ankle and uh, have bells around it as he went in to make this sacrifice. And if those bells started jingling, we knew he did something wrong and they pulled out a dead body. The holy of holies. Sinful man, not allowed. There was a separation and that separation was because of our sin. And the moment that Christ paid the penalty for our sin, the veil was rent, torn from top to bottom, not as though a man could do it, but as God had done it. And so here we have this altar, another piece of furniture in chapter 27. Going to make an altar of, you guessed it, acacia wood. And there is the description. In verse 2, you should make horns for it on its four corners. Its horn shall be of one piece in it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. And you shall make pots for it to receive its ashes. We're talking about sacrifices here. All of these things that would be become a part of the life of Israel in relationship with God. In verse 9, you see we have this court of the tabernacle on the south side. The court shall have hangings and all of these descriptions laid out. There is an entryway into this court and moving closer, ever closer to God. And uh, at the end of the chapter, verse 20, you see oil for the lamp. And so the details and the measurements are all there. But friends, do not miss it. Just as in this day, God was moving and planning and revealing in order that he might be in fellowship with his people and they would fellowship with him. Intimacy is God's priority with his people. Only thing that gets in the way, my friend, is your sin. It's your selfishness that steals these great opportunities. So if we were to wrap it up, we might say that God's desire is to abide with his people. And the fact is that God is always moving to have relationship with his people. 
It started with Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the garden and here with a tabernacle in the midst of his people. Tabernacle, as we move into uh, the, the kings, we see a temple is built. And the Shekinah glory fills this place until sin, Ichabod. Ichabod. Have you ever heard that word? It's, it's more than just the scary Halloween story, you know? Ichabod. Kavod is the glo- it means glory. Ichabod means no glory. The glory departed when Israel had sinned. Sin always destroys a relationship. And ironically, in John 1.14, a verse that you may know very well, it literally says that Jesus became flesh, and, and the English translation says dwelt. But a really, really good literal translation there is he tented with us. He tabernacled among us. And you know what he did? And we have seen his glory. It's a revelation of Jesus, my friends. Everything about this points to God. And everything about this pointing to God points to a relationship. And so we have seen his glory. The glory is of the son, only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So friends, it is evident, it is unarguable that God is moving to relationship with his people. And the only question that remains is what will you do? The fact is, friends, it's your turn. The invitation for fellowship with God is there. How will you respond?